0: 24-7 Sports, David Eicholz, Sean Bach here to analyze and break down Iowa's 24-10 to 10 win over Wisconsin. Sean, I, Iowa took care of business probably in the most Iowa-Wisconsin way. I mean, there was no very little offense, Iowa special teams and defense making plays. And suddenly, Iowa finds themselves in the driver's seat, I think, for the Big Ten West, which imagine three weeks ago us saying this. I think you and I were going back and forth of Iowa- was going to win more than one more game, (laughs) but now if they win the final two, uh, they're going back to Indianapolis, likely taking on Ohio state, but the Ohio state Michigan game should be pretty interesting. But Sean, I think uh, we have plenty to discuss, but Cooper DeJean, I thought all around one, the most one of the best all around performances. I think in the Kirk Ferentz era, just everything he did making so many different plays in so many different ways as a true sophomore, it was, I've never seen a guy that's not a quarterback or a running back will a team to victory like Cooper DeGene did on Saturday against Wisconsin.
1: Yeah. I mean, Iowa needs him in the playmaker role. We talk about the cash and how that was the perfect position for him, but at the cornerback spot, I mean, you just put him on the field and he can really do whatever he wants or whenever he really wants. And he was, yeah, difference maker for sure. And a lot of people were talking to, it's like, how can he translate to the big 10? I mean, that's definitely a fair question considering you know coming from small town Iowa northwestern Iowa but he you know he just found ways to put it all together and you know really transform this this defense and I mean not transform the defense but you know just the way he's able to make plays and the way he just naturally moves on the football field is really really impressive and just putting him at any spot on the field honestly is is huge. I mean, you asked Kirk. I mean, Kirk said yesterday, like, he could see Cooper playing, like, any position possible, and I mean, you have to change your offense for him at quarterback, but like, that's just impressive. That is just mightily impressive, and to see what he did, and, you know, he still has at least one more year, and he's the type of kid where, you know, his dream was to grow up at Iowa. I think that makes it even cooler for a lot of these fans, and, you know, Cooper in general, but it really is just spectacular to see how, how much of a difference he makes when he's on the field and just how much of a playmaker he is. I mean, we saw it coming from fall camp, too. All the buzz surrounding him was that he had at least, like, one pick six or at least one interception, like, every practice. Like, he was making plays nonstop. And to see that translate to the field is is really impressive.
0: I think, you know, obviously the 32-yard pick six is a huge play in the game. He got – he got beat on the inside a little bit, but I think he actually didn't give himself credit. I thought he read the route well because it was kind of a, a hitch-and-go style out route. And Cooper got back to it after he recovered. Graham Mertz threw it late, and he knew right he was going to take it in. Fourth pick on the year, second interception touchdown. And then him a punt returner. I know people may not like this comparison, but I really saw a lot of Charlie Jones in there. Uh, I think Charlie's a little bit more fearless just because of the experience he had in terms of fielding it no matter what. But Cooper just knows how to move, man, in terms of his vision is so incredible when he has the ball in his hands. And he was actually angry uh, that the punter caught him because he wanted to return that punt for a touchdown. He actually had a big shot at it. But to do that, to have 10 tackles, to down a punt at the one yard line, I mean, just the way he sort of embraced all of this and as a true sophomore. I mean, you go from 1A Iowa high school football, who, again, probably one of the most decorated high school athletes in the state's history in terms of being a four-sport athlete, stellar in all of them, and to translate that onto the football field in his second year in college football, again, from small-town Iowa, to play five different positions that he's capable of. Even Kirk said he could play safety. And keep in mind, Sean, this is a guy that was going to play cash all year, according to Iowa. I mean, if... If Justin Jacobs doesn't get hurt, they leave Cooper on the inside. I know Jamari's been out for the year. Terry Roberts said injury. So Iowa said, all right, well, we got to throw him at corner. And the way he's just seamlessly transferred his skill set from the cash to corner to step up there. And right now, Sean, I think he has a legitimate case to be the big 10 defensive back of the year, which is just incredible in itself. But again, the versatility is so rare, but it's not surprising. I mean, last year he, he played cornerback against Kentucky, remember? He played scout team wide receiver at times last year. I mean, it's very rare that you get these two-way, almost you know, you can play him in any phase of the game and have him be able to impact the way he does. It's it's just he's gonna go down, I think, in that Micah Hyde, Bob Sanders category. I think Scott Dockerman said that, and I, I can't, you know, I can't disagree with him on it. I think Cooper has a chance to be a very, very special player during his time in Iowa.
1: Yeah, most definitely. And we knew coming into this game, too, to kind of talk about the game in general, we knew coming into this game that Iowa needed to have at least one defensive touchdown and also make a play on special teams. And I think also Scott tweeted out the stat that whatever team has the edge in the rushing game, while it wasn't a huge running game for either team offensively, really none of them, neither team could get it going, I think. Outside of uh, Gavin Williams' 19-yard rush, there wasn't really much um, either way. But whichever team has the edge in the ground game is going to win. And I thought Iowa did a really good job. You know, I mean, it wasn't anything crazy, but just to get certain yards when you need it and avoid negative plays. I know there were a couple that were there, but... You know, I think really it came – I mean, we knew, like, with this Iowa team, it's going to come down to making at least one or two plays on special teams and, you know, in defense, and that's what happened in this game, and that was ultimately the result of the game with the defense setting up the offense again.
0: And I think the difference between the offense this week – and I know we'll plenty discuss about the offense, Sean. As good as Wisconsin's defense still is, Iowa's offense had to be better, and they have to be better if they want to win these final two games. But – I, they were opportunistic when the special teams and defense set them up. They were able to put points on the board that weren't field goals. They were able to put it in the end zone. And I think you go back to earlier this season, Iowa was not opportunistic. And I know you and I, when we were on this podcast, went back and forth about it. Last year's offense wasn't much different than this year's, but last year's was much more opportunistic and they could finish drives when they were set up for chances to score. And that's exactly what Iowa did yesterday. So there are some positives from yesterday. And, again, I even think Caleb Johnson was a positive from yesterday. I know he only had, you know, 50, 57 yards and 22 carries, had a touchdown. I still saw some good things from him when he's running against that tough Wisconsin defense. But, like you said, whoever wins a battle of the ground game ends up with a win. LaShawn Williams, his final run went for four yards. That gave Iowa the 52-51 to 51 rushing yards edge, which I, I thought was kind of funny. But, man, that offensive line took a step back, man. They did not look good. And I credit Spencer Petras for being one tough SOB for standing in there, taking hit after hit, and continuing to to try to battle, Sean, because Nick herbig who, who played outstanding last season in last season's game, at two-and-a-half sacks, forced fumble. This game, I think he had three sacks, a forced fumble, And he was just seemingly in the backfield every single play. Just not a good day. I I can't look at anybody on the offensive line and say, yeah, they really had a – they took a step forward today. It was – if Iowa doesn't block that punt and get that momentum early, and they never seized it. Like, I I think Iowa, for the most part, was in control of 90% of the game. The only time I think they lost it is when there was the coverage breakdown, when Riley Moss thought they were in a different coverage, which gave – Keontez Lewis, a wide-open 51-yard touchdown down the first half. But the offensive line, man, I mean, you look at the stats. They gave up 11 tackles for loss, six sacks, and an additional quarterback hit. And I think there was even another couple quarterback hits that weren't counted. I mean, Petrus is definitely waking up sore today. Get ready for the greatest roast of all time, the Roast of Tom Brady.
1: The rest is football wherever you get your podcasts. All the best from Big Beats. Yeah, I agree with you. I was kind of interested to see some of the pro football focus grades um, with the offensive line. You can check that on the site. But, yeah, I mean, it's kind of crazy to see how, I mean, with football, one or two, even one just small hiccup on the offensive line can make the whole line not look as, you know, capable or as, you know, strong. So I think there was some there, and Herbig. I mean, was coming off the edge, doing kind of whatever he wanted to get to Petrus. And I mean, the negative plays, man; those are those are a killer. Those really are a killer. Those can really halt halt offensive momentum. And like like you said, I mean, with Wisconsin, you got to kind of come to accept how things are going to be when you play them. Like, I don't think you're ever going to be able to get your passing game really going against them. And like even rushing or even dominate the line of scrimmage no matter who Wisconsin has on the field because they're always going to be you know up in your girl, really physical at the line of scrimmage and just really talented up there and Iowa's always had a hard time cracking that I mean at the end of the day you get the win but yes I mean I, I see what you're saying I mean luckily for Iowa at the top of my head I don't think Minnesota and Nebraska are overly impressive on the defensive side of the ball but I mean, you look at Minnesota and the way that they're able to run the football, that's something that I bet Iowa wishes it had on a consistent basis. Now it's there. But I think offensively, yeah, I mean, you you bring up some good points. I think the line needs to needs to, you know, take a step forward. And, you know, after the last two weeks it was really encouraging against Northwestern Purdue. And, you know, you kind of maybe came to expect that they would struggle a little bit today, but I still think, yeah, I mean, it's it's not overly encouraging to take a step back, but I mean that's kind of been the story of this unit throughout the whole year.
0: I think they got plenty to figure out. I still think there's a lot of potential there. But you know, not to look ahead too much, real quick, Sean. I mean, if Iowa stops the run against Minnesota, Iowa's gonna win the football game. Yeah. I mean, with all the injuries that Minnesota has in receiving game, Tanner Morgan has not had a good year. I mean, if Iowa stops the run, they're they're gonna win the football game. But we'll get into more in that later this week. But I thought Torrey Taylor had a nice little bounce back game. Obviously, the, the downing the punt, the one, uh, and doing some other stuff, I thought he was good. I thought Iowa, I was a little bit surprised they didn't return kicks this this week. I thought there were a couple of them where you kind of sat there and you're thinking, there's a lot of room. I don't know why they didn't take the chance. Maybe I, I meant to ask Kirk about that after the game. Maybe I'll ask him about it on Tuesday. But I was – definitely a little surprised by that but you know to go back to this defense sean i mean this is i I mean i'm ready to say it and i said before the season that it had a shot to be i think this is phil parker's best defense i think this could be kirk ference's best defense in his career i mean you just look at all three layers they're they're all doing things the secondary has been good they haven't intercepted the passes like last year but last year was a historic season Seth Benson, I think, has put together easily his best season as a Hawkeye. Jack Campbell's playing at an All-American level. And then the defensive line, Deontay Craig is starting to emerge as that guy that I think you and I at least thought he could be. I thought he'd take a, another year before taking that next step. Lucas Van Ness, I'm hearing more and more buzz about him being a top 40, top 45 NFL prospect this season. So that'll be interesting to follow as well. Noah Shannon, I think, has played himself at least onto a, a rookie contract in the NFL. I mean, this defense has been absolutely outstanding. I think they're allowing 3.82 yards per play, which is the lowest in in college football. I think only two teams the past decade have matched that or been lower than that. So this is a Phil Parker masterclass. I know people are going to, you know, take it with a grain of salt because of how bad Iowa's offense is. And they are still bad. Iowa's winning, but like Iowa's offense is still bad. People need to remember that. It doesn't cover it up, but, uh, Yeah, I just don't know what more I can say about this defense. It's just an all-around Phil Parker masterclass. It feels like this entire season, and I'm even going to include the Ohio State game because the positions that the offense and special teams put that defense in in that game, Iowa should have given up 75 to 80 points against Ohio State, and I don't think I'm crazy for saying that.
1: No, you're not, and you know I know a lot of people give Iowa a lot of grief for the offense this year, and rightfully so with all the struggles it has, and. The way they win football games. But I mean, this is kind of one of those things that they're built around. And obviously you want to ramp that offense up a little bit and be a little more appealing to some of the recruits that maybe you're going after. But at the end of the day, you kinda gotta you kinda gotta win with the team that you're given in the way that you do win. And that's obviously what happened on Saturday. And, you know, maybe it won't be the best. I mean, obviously you can't say they're going to clinch the Big Ten West yet, but, I mean, yep. with the way that things are looking, the way that they've been able to win football games, I mean, after that after that first score, I never really felt that Iowa was going to lose that game. Did you kind of feel the same way?
0: Yeah, I did. I did. I would have been very surprised. I think there was at least a moment of, okay, Iowa broke in that 51-yard cut, like the 51-yard touchdown, but you knew Phil Parker was going to get on them at halftime, and then I think Wisconsin never had a drive that went for more than 20 yards in the second half
1: yeah so i mean yeah it's just one of those games where just like the width the way that iowa is set up and the way that their team is like i mean yeah that's that's just how you're gonna win football games and that's kind of something that iowa has prided itself on and you know it's it's just interesting to see how the dynamic of this year has changed and i know like it's a favorable year for iowa especially with the way that the big Ten west is and all the question marks surrounding it, but just the way it's happened and the way things have turned around, like there really hasn't been much difference. They're just finding out how to win these games and to make the, to make the timely plays that are needed to win games. That's kind of been the main, the main difference that I've seen.
0: I think Iowa's schedule is also very top heavy, especially in terms of the defenses they're playing against. And again, that does not dismiss how bad Iowa's offense is and has been but people need to be able to recognize that as well. Both things can remain true. The Iowa has taken steps forward over the past three weeks in total, I think. But they're also not playing the caliber of competition they were when they are playing Michigan, Ohio State, uh, and, and others like that. So, Sean, we have to talk about this uh, about, what, an hour and a half before the game, maybe an hour before the game. News broke that number one, nation's number one offensive tackle, Caden Proctor, uh, took an official visit to Oregon this weekend. And I <laughs> – you know, just speaking of our message board, Sean, I think that article and that thread has as many views as, as our live in game updates, and that just shows so much people care about it. A little bit surprising. Uh, I know you've been doing a little bit of digging. I've been doing some digging as well, but what are you kind of making about this whole proctor taking a visit uh to Oregon situation?
1: Yeah, I think the timing was definitely a little little odd. We talked about this before we started recording the podcast. I think the timing was was odd with everything and I think, especially with, you know, some of the texts that I received in the past couple of weeks with stuff regarding the Proctor, obviously, you know, he's, he's saying all the right things, telling people all the right stuff around Iowa, you know, saying, you know, and coming to game day visits and doing all that stuff and being a pretty vocal recruiter. Yeah, the timing's a little weird. I, I will say that. I, I do think there, are, you know, I heard stuff about the Oregon camp being really confident about eventually landing him. Um so take that for what it's worth. And but I mean Iowa Iowa can sell what it can sell and that's early playing time. And you know, I think there's a couple of things working for Iowa too. Obviously the proximity to home is a big a big factor. He can come in, compete right away. Obviously the NIL stuff is going to play play a role in some capacity. That's just the way college football is and when you're a guy of yeah. Caden Proctor's stature. Um like I said family ties. He's got you know, guys on the team that he's really close with, really, you know, good buddies with a lot of the commits to really good relationship with all the coaches. So, I mean, that stuff's working in Iowa's favor. And, you know, maybe he just went out there to have a good time and enjoy himself. And, you know, Iowa fans aren't used to that. I mean, when you're like Texas or Florida State or some of those big time programs, you're dealing with this stuff every cycle. So it's kind of weird for Iowa to, you know, be dealing with this, especially with a guy, you know, their highest ranked commit of all time. So, Right now, I mean, still kind of digging, seeing what seeing what the feel is. Um, Caden's always been, you know, he's he's always been in with Iowa, and Iowa's always stayed consistent with him. But it always seems like Alabama or Oregon has never really given up, and it's interesting because you know he's he's talked to Alabama and he said the things about Oregon too in the past, but it's just, you know, it just proves to show how relentless some of these coaches can be and you know he's a 17 year old kid he he uh he loves the limelight I mean he's he's a big fan of that that's for sure I mean I don't blame him I'd probably be the same way if I was a (laughs) five-star recruit so we'll see what happens though I I don't have a great feel for it right now I mean there's been some conversations that I've had that make it seem more confident that he sticks with Iowa and he's just kind of visiting, but there's also confidence from the Oregon side too that, you know, the ducks feel like they're in really good shape with him. So I think it's kind of wait and see. I, you can make an argument for both ways. Um, I think, you know, I think there's a lot of stuff that goes for Iowa in this recruitment and, you know, I mean, it's still a recruitment, even though he's committed, but, you know, I still think he is. You just kind of put, gotta, you gotta see because Oregon, you know, they have a lot to sell. Um, money talks, NIL, big deal. Yep. Um, yep. So that's, I mean, that's obviously not his, his main go to, but it's hard to, you know, turn down a school like Oregon. And he has a really uh, good I'm relationship with, with the, yeah, he has a really good relationship with the offensive line coach. I think he came, I think like during the spring, he and the offensive line coach sat down for like two hours or something over the phone and just like talked about life and just everything and, you know, his his NFL background and how Caden could fit there. And, you know, it's, it's one of those things where it's just tough. You know, I think Iowa has stuff going for it, but Oregon's going to be going to keep trying. Like this thing is not going to – it's going to be relentless all the way up until signing day.
0: And Iowa Iowa staff should expect that too. And fans should. I mean, this is, again, it's a five-star case the nation's number one offensive tackle who could basically walk up to any campus, knock on the head coach's door and say, I want to play for you. And they're going to give him a scholarship, whether he had or not. I mean, that's just the reality of it. I'm with you. I think this visit does mean something, Sean, based on who I'm I'm talking to. I know some people talk about, Oh, it's a free game day visit. The timing of this is very odd to me. And the only thing I'll say about it is it took a lot of people by surprise. I, I think it took, it took a lot of people by surprise, but again, with the way modern day college football works, this should be almost be expected. Uh, like I said, he's, he's got a lot of connections to Iowa. I've talked to a couple of Iowa sources that still feel pretty good about landing, eventually landing Procker and him signing with Iowa. But there's also, like you said, optimism, in the Oregon camp. And so it's hard to have a great feel about things right now. I think, over the next 48 hours, we're going to learn quite a bit, maybe 72 hours or so, because you have to get off the the high of the visit, et cetera. But look, Iowa's not going to lay, lay down and die on this either. I mean, they're going to be connecting up with Proctor, probably talking to him. I think what Iowa needs to do, Sean, is try to get Proctor back on campus against Nebraska. I think that's going to be a big key for me, because the state playoffs will be over. I think if they can get Proctor on, back on senior day... Just to watch Iowa take on Nebraska, which, by the way, could be for the Big Ten West title if Illinois lose to Michigan next week and Iowa beats Minnesota this upcoming week. I think that's going to be a big key to watch, but this is definitely going to be a story that's worth following going forward. And again, I know that I know a lot of people have said Iowa should feel good about all along. But like you said, Sean, I think they should. But again, this is a 17 year old kid. We're living in the era of NIL. We're living in a world where, like you said, players five-star recruits like the limelight and there's nothing wrong with that i again i'm with you i'd be the same exact way if i was a five-star recruit and the nation's number one player at the position but i think it's just gonna be a story worth keeping an eye on but i do think that the visit to oregon and the timing of everything it definitely it it means something it does
1: yeah no i'm not gonna disagree with you and you know we'll see the only person that i really knows is is caden right now and you know, honestly, at this point, he may not even know. So, we'll see what happens. I mean, I feel like Iowa, they do have a lot to sell and can be, you know, I think there's a lot of things working in their favor that will bode well for them once he makes his decision. But, yeah, I mean, Oregon, like, you can't scoff at that either.
0: Yeah. No, definitely. So, again, we'll, we'll be back later this week's preview Iowa-Minnesota. I'll be up in Minneapolis for the game on Saturday, which is now at 3 o'clock on Fox. So a huge, huge game for Iowa if they want to help defend their Big Ten West crown. David Eichel, Sean Bach, be sure to follow us on Twitter at David Eichel, at SBach247, and at Hawkeyes on 247. And be sure to stay tuned to HawkeyeInsider.com for the most in-depth analysis, scoops, and breaking news of your Iowa Hawkeyes. Until next time, we'll talk to you soon. You can now relive the best moments of the UEFA Champions League 24-7.